Now it's time for the Disney View podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his Grand Circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. Well, on today's podcast, I wanted to present some information that I learned about Disney's foray into the world of entertainment, or further foray, foray I guess I would say. Uh, got a couple of articles that I read that I thought were kind of interesting I wanted to share with you because it talks about Disney's interest and in how they're doing different things. But before I do that, I wanted to talk a little bit about something fun that I decided to do on my work desktop. So my work desktop is running Windows 10, and Windows 10 has a feature that allows you to change between different images as your background. And I happen to have two monitors at work, so it's kind of cool that I'm able to do this. So what I did is I actually went and I looked up the Soren attraction and found all of the locations that are uh, viewed in the Soren attraction. And I actually found pictures several in most cases, for each of the scenes that are depicted in the Soren attraction. And I added them to the rotation, along with a few other sites and places around the world that I'm, I like personally, that I have some personal meaning to me. And I added them in. So kind of while I'm sitting at work throughout the day, it changes up to almost Soren around the world. And if I close my eyes, I can hear the music and I can almost smell the coconut. It's really kind of cool. It's a fun thing to do, and it was a kind of a fun way to take my Windows 10 machine and make it a little more personal and kind of make it work for me so that it kind of uh, comes to life a little bit, and it gives me some a little bit of meaning. So I just have these different images that come up. So there's the Taj Mahal and the Eiffel Tower and the, uh, the New Schwanstein Castle and Iguazu Falls and uh, the pyramids and Mount Kilimanjaro with the elephants in front and uh, the uh, uh, islands off of uh, Fiji. And so on. It's kind of fun. You know, it's just kind of neat. Every, you know, every once in a while, I just look at it and I go, yeah, that's nice. Kind of takes me to soar. And if I lift my feet off the ground, I really feel like I'm flying. Kidding about that part, of course. But it's kind of fun. It's just something kind of neat that I was able to do. Uh, and I, you know, I just wanted to share that with you because it was, it was uh, kind of interesting. So I had a couple of articles that I encountered. Now, Disney, with their acquisition of 20th Century Fox, moved the needle on what they do and how they interact with society and what they're going to be streaming and doing entertainment-wise. So the first article I found was from Ad Age, and it's by Garrett Sloan, and uh, it's called The Mouse's New House. Disney and Facebook cozy up in a streaming experiment, one that other networks and studios might just find too hard to emulate. Reagan and Aaliyah is a mouseketeer. Yep, they still exist. More precisely, they were recently reborn. She knows about Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears, two former mouseketeers who rocketed to superstardom after their childhood careers. And at just 18, Aaliyah can tell you about Annette Funicello. She even evokes the old mouseketeer ears wearing her curly hair fit neatly into two buns. Aaliyah is part of a new generation of talent that Walt Disney Company introduced last September. Instead of creating an old-school TV show, or rather recreating one that's been dormant for more than 20 years, Disney has made the latest incarnation of the Mickey Mouse Club, now dubbed marginally hipper-sounding Club Mickey Mouse, entirely for Facebook and Instagram. 
Disney has never done this before, Aaliyah says. During an interview in between sponsorship gigs and attending the NAACP Image Awards, just like the Mickey Mouse Club was its first ever TV show, this is its first ever digital series. Everything is online. Club Mickey is made for younger generations. Many episodes run under a minute in length, and none has reached five minutes. Our attention spans are shorter, Aaliyah says, so you watch it on the go. It travels with you. Disney intends to create a lot more like it. Disney, like most studios and networks, has seen audiences hit play on digital screens and back away from the cable box. Since 2012, for example, the Disney Channel's pay TV subscribers has fallen 12% to 90 million from 102 million. Sibling ESPN saw the same percentage drop, and the consumers that Disney wants to sign up for the new club Mickey members of Gen Z represent, along with younger millennials, half of the Accord Never population. Meaning they have never paid for cable, according to SNL Kagan's Market Intelligent Report from 2017. It's no wonder that Disney would experiment with new ways to present its content. What's striking is Disney's commitment to Facebook, a platform that can drive publishers crazy with its ability to mediate their access to digital viewers. Meanwhile, Disney could benefit from the arrangement, taking what it learns from Facebook and its mastery of data, and applying this to its own digital properties, like the streaming service it's launching to rival Netflix. We were very early partners at Facebook," said Andrew Sugarman, executive VP of Disney Consumer Products and Interactive Media. We had to really figure out how does a large media company partner with a social media platform. Disney, Disney has become the most prolific publisher in its Facebook program called Anthology, which started in 2015 with a handful of media companies testing a new way to make money from the social network. It calls for participating publishers, which have also included Vice and Funny or Die, to include advertisers in the production process. For example, have product placements within the shows and rely on those benefactors to boost the content via Facebook advertising. Anthology has been a tough sell for many media companies. The videos come with high production costs and are expensive to produce. That early partners struggle to make money. Facebook is asking networks and publishers to create shows that can attract advertisers that would spend at least three million promoting videos on the platform, according to the people with knowledge of the program, which can be an expensive proposition. Not many campaigns focused on digital-only reach,、uh, reach that kind of spending in one campaign, says one TV executive who heard Facebook's pitch anthology last month in Park City, Utah, during the digital storytelling portion of the Sundance Film Festival. That kind of limits its possibilities. But Disney has firepower. Few can match. HP signed on to sponsor the first season of Club Mickey Mouse, which follows Aaliyah and seven other newly minted Mouseketeers, as they essentially put on a new media variety show, goofing around, dancing, shooting music videos, and using an HP Sprocket portable printer to print selfies. An 18-second installment called Pop Lock and HP Sprocket uses the printer to make photos for a flipbook effect, showing a dance move. By Facebook's count, it has 1.8 million views. You work with a partner like Disney for a number of reasons," says Keely Taylor, head of paid social at Group M, the media buying conglomerate. They can be the tip of the spear to drive innovation and original thinking on top of the technology platform. Others are more skeptical about the power of anthology. I wasn't that impressed with what they had to say, actually," says the network exec, who met with them at Sundance. The executions they showed with Disney were sort of interesting, and they said they were really successful, but no one had heard much buzz about them. Anthology also plays into a chief criticism of Facebook. The only way publishers can protect themselves against its unpredictable algorithm changes, which can tank referral traffic overnight, is through Facebook advertising. Indeed, Anthology insulates participating media companies from Facebook's whims by baking in advertiser support. Sponsors pay Facebook to promote the videos. It's easy to see the difference between Club Mickey videos that have received HP boosts and those that haven't. 
With it, they consistently generate more than 100,000 views, some more than a million. Without brand support, they usually don't crack 100,000. Meanwhile, Facebook's algorithms changes continuously. Most recently, the company said it would limit the exposure to media properties in its newsfeed, the content stream users scroll through on the social network. To combat misleading news, bad actors, and an atmosphere of negativity, Facebook would promote more posts from friends and family and encourage more meaningful interactions, as the company said. A Facebook spokeswoman reiterates that anthology is basically inoculated from the changes. Anthologies appear on Facebook primarily as branded content, or ads, from a partner's page, the spokeswoman said by email. So recent changes should have little to no impact on ads, as our ads auction already optimizes for user value. Disney is investing more than ever in anthology, both as a way to revive classic brands, it is a second season of Club Mickey Mouse coming, and to market newer properties like The Incredibles, the 2004 Pixar release that has a sequel due this summer. The Muppets are also about about to get a digital refresh from Disney, according to Sugarman, including an anthology component. Facebook says it has collaborated on more than 100 campaigns through anthology. Disney plans to do a dozen in the next year. We published 1,200 assets as part of Club Mickey. We effectively constructed a show to be built for the Facebook feed, Sugarman says. It was a completely non-traditional approach, and we're taking all those learnings and pulling them together as now we're mapping out our launch plans for Season 2. Facebook has been evolving the services it offers companies like Disney with an emphasis on consulting, leaning on what the social network knows about consumers and businesses to provide a roadmap for growth. There was 50% greater engagement on this content than normal organic Disney content, says Mark Darcy, chief creative officer at Facebook's Creative Shop, which is the group that works with publishers and brands to design anthology programs and other ad campaigns. We're not teaching Disney how to tell stories. We're teaching Disney how to tell stories on our platform. Disney deserves an awful lot of credit for being a large company that moves so quickly and builds. The details of Facebook and Disney's relationship were not fully disclosed, and they would not discuss any financial arrangements. However, Sugarman says that Disney is particularly interested in learning from Facebook about what the audiences want and the types of videos they're interested in consuming. And Disney's digital ambitions go beyond Facebook. They include the Disney Digital Network, which evolved from a video celebrity farm maker studios, a 2014 acquisition that cost north of $500 million. Disney also plans to create its own streaming video network to rival Netflix. Disney is growing like few other old media brands could, from $35 billion in revenue in 2007 to $55 billion in 2017. On the back of the hit entertainment properties such as Star Wars and Marvel, Disney is also on track to buy 21st Century Fox for more than $50 billion, which would give it even more blockbuster properties such as The Simpsons, X-Men, and even the National Geographic, which has lately found success on Facebook with the live stream Safari show on, on Watch, platform's nascent video hub. Disney CEO Bob Iger has mused publicly about how well the nature programming fits with Disney's historic interest in the same subjects, producing wildlife documentaries and animal-themed characters and movies throughout the years. For now, however, Facebook remains a gatekeeper between Disney's young talent and their fans. I interact with everybody on social media all the time, Aliyah says. I really try to engage everybody because without them I have no career. We consider ourselves just influencers, she said. We're not on on a TV show playing someone else. This is a social media show, a group of influencers getting together being part of Club Mickey Mouse. In December, Disney and Facebook pitched nearly 200 ad buyers in an event at Lincoln Center in New York, where they showed off a lineup of about a dozen potential new programs modeled on Club Mickey format, all pairing properties like The Incredibles and The Muppets with advertisers. 
Disney's done similar events before, but this year, for the first time, the whole Walt Disney Company participated, including ABC and ESPN. Advertisers heard about the new concepts for Facebook shows in which they could play a role. Not just for kids' shows, but also Star Wars or ABC's American Idol, Blackish, and even Good Morning America. Then it was off to Sundance to continue selling, but the latest news feed algorithm changes were again on everyone's mind. The network exec says, Keenan Pridemore, the head of Facebook's creative shop studio, adds, open discussions this way. Look, I have no idea about the changes, so don't even ask. And that's from the early February edition of Ad Age, and I found that to be really kind of interesting. It was a nice way to look at sort of the way Disney is trying to use social media to change the way they look at the world. And that just fascinated me. It just kind of caught my attention. And as we think about that 14 to 18-year-old demographic, the kids who are in high school today, the ones who are going to shape our future, in 10 years from now, they're going to be the ones with the most buying power. They're going to be in charge. They're going to be the ones making the decisions for the future. So you really want to engage them and embrace them now. And if you don't, you're doing it at your own peril. So as we look across the landscape, whether it's gun control and their own safety, whether it's sports or whether it's something related to digital content, you have to engage them now and get them engaged and make it worthwhile for them. I think Disney is doing a pretty good job of trying to capture their hearts at this point and make them interested and get them engaged and involved and make sure that they're part of something. As you listen to this article, you start to realize that Disney is trying to woo them now. And that's unlike sports franchises. I happen to live in South Florida where all four major sports exist. And none of the four are doing very much to try and capture this high school age group. They're not doing anything to try and engage them, make them interested, make them future fans. And in fact, what they're really doing is they're saying, we're catering to the older folks and we hope you'll bring your kids and your kids like it and they'll come back. They're not doing anything directly for these guys. And so what happens is this generation is very involved in video games, social media, and other things where the games themselves don't matter. They're too long, they're too boring, they're not interesting. Whatever the case may be, as I talk to my kids and their friends, I realize that they're not at that same level of interest in sport that some of us are in the older age groups. And we start to realize that if they're not interested and you're not engaging them, then 10 years from now, sports franchises are going to have a problem and they're not going to be able to engage kids and they're not going to have them as their prime fan base. And then what happens? You have to listen to them or not listen to them at your own peril. And then I read another article over on CNN Money. It starts off with telling us that ESPN's streaming service will cost $4.99. So here's the way this goes. ESPN's new streaming service is coming to your phone this spring. Disney is launching a new subscription called ESPN+. Plus. CEO Bob Iger announced Tuesday, and that would have been in early February. It will cost $4.99 a month and debut alongside the redesigned ESPN app. It will basically enable people to see ESPN just about any way imaginable, Iger told investors on an earnings call. But subscribers won't be able to watch the most popular games for only $4.99. Streaming ESPN TV networks will require a subscription to an existing service that offers those channels. Instead, the ESPN Plus service comes with what Iger calls the greatly expanded array of programs and live sports that aren't currently available on TV. He mentioned baseball, soccer, hockey, boxing, golf, rugby, and cricket as examples. Iger also said the app will carry the popular 30 for 30 series that ESPN produces, which are the network's high-quality documentaries about significant people and events in sports. Iger said the app will feature scores, highlights, and news stories about sports, and it's going to make use of BAM tech, the streaming technology company that Disney paid $1.58 billion for a majority stake in last year. He declined to provide specific date for the launch. 
The standalone subscription will be Disney's first attempt at a direct-to-consumer service. The company has been ramping up its efforts to win people over, whose viewing to win people whose viewing habits are shifting away from cable TV and towards digital streaming services like Netflix and Amazon Video. It announced late last year that it would buy the most of 21st Century Fox for $54 billion, a deal that gives it another movie studio, regional sports networks, and some cable channels. Though they're not getting the... uh, There's a mistake in here because they're not actually getting the regional sports networks, but that's okay. The company would get Fox's stake in Hulu and with it a majority ownership of the streaming service. Disney has said it wants to launch another streaming service for its other entertainment, though Iger said on this call that the project probably won't land until late 2019. The company has said it will pull its content from Netflix when that happens. Investors are surely hoping that ESPN Plus will inject some much-needed life into a network that has struggled. ESPN has faced declining subscriber numbers and ad revenue, and even though it's trying to focus on digital programming, the network is locked into an expensive long-term deal with sports leagues. Last year, ESPN laid off hundreds of employees, including on-air personalities, writers, and people working on studio production and digital content. The network's leadership was also cast into doubt after President John Skipper abruptly resigned in December, just a month after news leaked that his contract had been extended. He said at the time he struggled with substance abuse. So... I find it interesting because, you know, here it all comes, kind of comes together. Both of these articles, if you think about them, they all kind of fit into a context that Disney is trying to find new ways to expand its media reach and get involved in more areas. Now, I find it to be kind of interesting. Disney's going to have a whole new streaming service they're going to offer. They're going to do some new things. They want to have more interactive content. They want to do more things. It becomes a much more rich environment for Disney to go well beyond the theme parks and into the entertainment industry in a way that no, I don't think anyone ever thought they would. So I wanted to share those with you because they kind of intrigued me and I was kind of fascinated by the, the concept here of what Disney is trying to do. It, it's kind of kind of amazing. Uh, they're really trying to dominate in the marketplace. And you can see what the, you know, sort of the, the vision is here in a general sense, but we don't know specifically what it's going to look like. And then with you know, new movies coming out and continual growth of different properties that they've got. You just, you start to see all these different things happening that Disney is just amazing in their ability to get out there and do some things. And then of course, there's the movie Black Panther that just came out and that's another Disney production and it exceeded everyone's expectations, including some of the producers and others that were involved in greenlighting this, this uh, particular story. It's a terrific story. It's well worth seeing if you haven't seen it. Great uh, action film, kind of fits in the, in the superhero category. It's really pretty cool. And it's amazing that Disney was able to breathe some life into this and make it unique. It's a different kind of story. There's some interesting things that they do. And it takes the perspective of, you know, real world types of things and how can, you know, how can this uh, superhero save uh, humanity in a way. So kind of interesting and a lot of fun. And, you know, it's, it's worth seeing. So I find the whole thing, you know, Disney has really kind of reinvented itself to a large degree. If you look back to like the early 1980s when Disney was churning out such great hits as the Apple Dumpling Gang and Pete's Dragon, the original one, you, uh, you realize that, you know, they've come a long way. A lot of things have happened. They've revived themselves and made themselves something really compelling and interesting. It's, you know, theme parks are still part of the picture, but that's not all of it. Disney is, Disney is becoming an entertainment giant. And surely will take on NBC Universal in the near future. Uh, you know, NBC Universal owns uh, Universal Studios, of course, and it's always been you know sort of this back and forth. I think Disney just exceeded what NBC Universal has uh, to a large degree. So it'll be interesting to see how this continues to develop. Disney is really doing some amazing things, and I, I really just wanted to share all that with you. And uh, finally, today I'd like to leave you with 
the reminder that, you know, the Winter Olympics are ongoing, and one of the greatest Winter Olympic movies ever was Cool Runnings. If you haven't seen it, it's time to watch it again, starring John Candy. It's about the Jamaican bobsled team, and uh, it's how they got into the Olympics and some of the things they did, and it's a, it's a really fun story. It's, uh, it's more or less a true-to-life story. Um, they, they do a nice job of kind of storytelling it, and uh, it's, a, it's a fun fun watch. And if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it, and you haven't seen it in a while, it's a good time to watch it with the Olympics finishing up here in the next week or so. That is my podcast for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. And remember, if we can dream it, we can certainly do it. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there... Please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading, one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company. 